Do you remember the name Reginald Denny? Reginald O. Denny. He was the 36-year-old dump truck driver who, through no fault of his own, partially because his dump truck did not have a radio in it, drove into the flashpoint of the L.A. riots. There at Florence and Normandy in April of 1992. Here was a man just doing his job where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was pulled from the cab, nearly beat to death by four men, while the news helicopter overhead captured the event live and showed it to a horrified nation as it was happening. Those L.A. riots would go on for six days. Sixty-three people would be killed in total, 2,300 injured. You may remember the name of Reginald Denny. It was a famous, famous event in American history. But you probably don't remember or may have never heard the name Wally Tope. Wally Tope was born again while an engineering student in the mid-60s at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. He finished his degree in engineering and then went on to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California during the early 70s, but he never finished seminary. Wally Tope became somewhat of a self-appointed evangelist and began to travel all over California and the States and really all over the world. And his address book uh, back in those days, you know, wasn't digital. It was a physical address book. had over 1,500 names of friends and folks he had met in his travels. Well, on day two of the L.A. riots, April 30th, 1992, Wally Tobe, then at the age of 53, shrugged off the warnings of his friends, saying that God would protect him, and he went alone down into the midst of the L.A. riots. He went down to a strip mall at Western Avenue and Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And there he promptly encountered a young man, 21, Fidel Ortiz, who was running out of a Savon store with stolen goods in his hands. He confronted Ortiz and told him to repent or he would go to hell. Ortiz later told police that Tope then held up his arm as though to strike him, and so Ortiz hit him. He had a friend, Ortiz did, a man, Leonard Sosa, age 24, who was carrying looted pampers out of the store as well. He saw his friend in this bit of a tussle. He leaped in to defend his pal. Together, the two of them beat and kicked Wally Tope for three minutes. Hundreds of people saw it, and no one intervened. Tope's appearance and condition was so bad, so horrific, that his elderly parents couldn't bear to see him. After 19 months in a coma, he died from his injuries. It's a tragic story. It's a heartbreaking story of surely a man of God, a person who loved the Lord Jesus, a brother in Christ who died a, a very tragic and somewhat senseless death, it seems. But it's a story that raises a very pertinent question. And the question is, is it possible 
to be preaching the gospel and be actually in disobedience to the word of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. I tried last week to cram this into last week's sermon, and I tried about half the week to do that until I gave up yielding to the reality that verse 6 is its own paragraph, really. It's its own thought. And you cannot force it into verses 1 to 5, and so it stands alone in our Bibles. In fact, verse 6 is a rare verse. It's the only time this verse is in the Bible. It's the only time this verse is in any of the Gospels. It's never repeated. Matthew 7, 6 says this from the words and the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Do not give what is holy or sacred to dogs and do not cast your pearls before swine or they, the swine, will trample them under their feet. One translation says walk all over them and the dogs will turn and tear you to pieces. The context, of course, is Matthew 7, uh, 1 to 5 is what's preceded it. And it's interesting, there is a connection here, although, although they're not the same thought. The connection is this. In 1 to 5, Jesus says, do not be judgmental. Don't run around as a fault finder finding every little speck of sin in every single person's life, right? And now here at verse 6, he's saying, do not be gullible. Do not be naive, In verses 1 to 5, we talked about brothers there, finding the speck of sin in your brother's eye, your sister's eye. So he moves here from brothers and sisters to dogs and pigs. We move from 1 to 5, the family member with a speck of sin, to enemies here of the things of God, and particularly the gospel. So I ask myself, what is the main idea of verse 6? And I want to give you a little more than I would normally give you in the sermon at this point because I want you to see where my thinking was and how I landed where we're going to land and what's really here. And so I ask myself, what is the main idea of verse 6? And the main idea of this verse is evangelism. That is the main idea. But what kind of evangelism? Because that's too broad, isn't it? What kind of evangelism is Jesus talking about in verse 6? Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What kind of evangelism is this? It is the title of my sermon, Discerning Evangelism. That's the kind. That's the kind. So that's what we're talking about here. In this text, Jesus called his disciples to discerning evangelism by prohibiting the giving of the precious holy things of God to those who treat them with hateful scorn. That brings us to the sermon main idea. See, that was all past tense. That was then and there. Now, what about here and now? Here's the sermon big idea today. Jesus calls us to discerning evangelism by prohibiting us from giving the gospel to those who treat it with hateful scorn or utter derision. Or violent contempt. That raises the question. Why not? Why not give holy things to dogs? Why not cast pearls before swine? I mean, after all, aren't we supposed to share the gospel with as many people as possible all the time? Isn't that the mandate? Isn't that where Matthew is going in the Great Commission, chapter 28? Make disciples of all the nations, including Gentiles of every variety, I guess you would say. Aren't we supposed to be evangelistic? 
I mean, why would Jesus tell us in this verse to stop giving the holy things of God to certain people? Here, these people are described as dogs and pigs or dogs and swine. Why would he do that? That brings us to our outline. Two reasons. Two reasons to practice discerning evangelism. And I am just so thrilled this verse is here. And I am so thrilled that we're doing expository preaching. You have probably never heard a sermon on this verse. It is so rare. And I think it's going to help us a ton. I think this is going to be like biblical counseling in times. I think this is going to give you so much more direction and discernment as a Christian. Because I get questions all the time as a pastor that really relate to this verse. So what's happening here? Two reasons why you and I should practice discerning evangelism. Now, I want to be very careful because I don't want to squash evangelism. And that would be easy to do because nobody, you know, nobody likes evangelism, believers or unbelievers. You know, you've heard that? Nobody likes to share the gospel, including most Christians and, of course, the unbeliever. So I don't want to squash that. We don't want to, we don't want to put any kind of damper on any motivation to share our faith because that's Already a weakness that we probably have as a church. But on the other hand, we don't want to be gullible, naive, and foolish either. And so here we find two reasons to practice discerning evangelism. Reason number one, lest opponents treat the message with hateful scorn. Lest opponents treat the message itself with hateful scorn. Jesus here describes the message as that which is what? Holy, sacred. Set apart. Here's something uh, distinct and unique and uh, incredibly valuable in this world. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs. Most commentators, and myself included, believe he's really ultimately speaking here of the gospel of the kingdom, the message of the king. And he says, don't, don't give this to dogs. And then he goes on, he says, do not throw your pearls In their culture, in their day, pearls were the most valuable thing they possessed. More valuable than gold and silver. More valuable than diamonds. Pearls were rare, beautiful, and to have pearls was a sign of luxury. And so he's saying, don't take that which is of immense value and luxurious beauty and and cast it or throw it nonchalantly, throw it indiscriminately before swine. So I think as he speaks here of the message as holy and as pearls, he's basically saying the first reason relates to the value, not not the value, but the, the message itself, the value of the message itself. Now, we need to understand a couple of things about the dogs and the pigs here. <laughs> We're not talking about the cute little barnyard pig, right? It would be more like the wild boar in our neck of the woods. Nasty, huge, smelly, dangerous, violent. They can, both the dogs and the wild boar can turn and tear you to pieces, whether it's teeth or tusk. All right. Not only that, but swine for the Jewish person was unclean, right? This was the unclean food of the unclean Gentiles. And then the dogs of his day, we're not talking about our beloved little household pets. He's talking about dogs that are also unclean to the Jew. Dogs that ran in packs. They were violent. They were dangerous. They were dirty and smelly as well. They, they roamed the countryside looking for the next 
the next meal. Uh, so just picture in your mind a wild boar and a pack of wild dogs. And what he's really talking about here then are enemies of the gospel. He's not talking about the average unbeliever. He's not talking about the typical person that's in ignorance. And he's not talking about the typical unreached people group that don't know anything about Christ or anything about the gospel. He's talking about, in his context, Jews that should have known something about the Messiah who was coming. He's talking about a person in our context who's heard the gospel 15 times, who knows it forwards and backwards. We're talking about here an enemy of something that is known. It's known and it's, it's been evaluated and it's now been rejected. Okay, that's who he speaks of. And so the scene that he sets before us in verse 6 is, six is very clear. He's, he, he lays out a scene of someone who is carefully, carefully laying out their, their string of pearls. Laying out what is infinitely valuable to them and to God. And then the piggish response is just to walk all over them with the muck and the mire and the hooves and to stomp on them into the ground because they have no value to the person on the receiving end. The response is one of utter disdain and mocking ridicule and contempt both for the message and the messenger. He says, don't do that. Wise up, Christian. Don't give what is holy to dogs and throw what your pearls before swine. You see, there is a fine line between being radical and being foolish. Between being bold and fearless and being foolhardy and come across really ridiculous. A couple of applications before we move on to the second reason. A couple of applications of how we might put this verse into practice as believers. I want to encourage you to really refrain on social media from useless, fruitless, futile arguing with unbelievers who in many cases are just there to get a response, to get a rise, to get attention, whatever their motives might be. So much of what goes on and social media with unbelievers are just with people who want to ridicule, people who want to argue, people who are not there to listen and learn. And I know there's a little bit of everything, but I'm just, I'm just saying, as a believer, if that's your, if that's your area of where you're trying to be of, of influence, bless your heart. And, but, but be wise, be discerning. Don't fall into those pits and those traps of someone who just simply wants to argue. It's futile. Here's another, here's another application. Don't keep trying to give the gospel to someone who is a hardened opponent of the gospel. If someone is clearly uninterested in the gospel, move on. See, underneath this truth, underneath verse 6, is the reality of sovereign grace. And that God has an elect people. And that when they hear the gospel and God draws them and calls them, they will come. They will be interested. We do not have to ever force feed anyone the truth of the Bible or manipulate emotions or, or try to manipulate a, a situation to, to share Christ. Now, we're fishers of men, not hunters of men. We're not killing people with the gospel. We're fishing with the gospel. If they're not interested, move on. You don't sit in a fishing hole and, and sit and watch a bobber that never moves for hour after hour after hour. Reel it in and cast somewhere else. Right? That's what he's, that's really what's underneath all of this. If someone in this moment is clearly uninterested 
in the gospel. Then move on to the next person and the next and the next. I think another application of this would be those situations where we might find ourselves in an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is drunk or high or belligerent or out of their mind for whatever reason, drug-induced or not. Uh, Probably not the best time to try to share the gospel. Let's let them sober up. Let's let them get in a position to hear and understand and listen. Reason number two. Reason number two why we should not, why we should practice discerning evangelism. Lest opponents treat the messenger with hateful scorn. So reason number one was lest you treat the message. Now it is the messenger. Well, where am I getting that? Look back at the verse. Or they, he's probably talking about the dogs here primarily, will trample them, no, the the swine first. The swine will trample them under their feet and then the dogs will turn and do what? Tear you to pieces. So when he's speaking of what is holy and pearls, he's speaking of the message, the gospel of the kingdom. But now the second reason not to do this is lest opponents treat the messenger with hateful scorn. In other words, what's underneath this verse is that God values both the message and the messenger. God values both. And here we ought to have discernment lest someone violently turn against us and kill us. These dogs, of course, were vicious. They were deadly. They had lots of sharp teeth. They could do a lot of tearing and ripping to pieces. And I think Jesus means this literally. He could also mean it figuratively. He could also mean it verbally. If it doesn't come to the literal, physical kind of tearing to pieces. So what's going on here between verses 1 to 5 now and verse 6? We shouldn't be fault-finding legalists who run around judging everyone unfairly and hypocritically. But neither should we naively persist in giving the gospel to those who continue rejecting it. It is futile and it, based on verse 6 here, could even be labeled foolish. I'm talking about the person who is rejecting what they know. Okay, He's calling us into discerning evangelism. Not our head in the sand. Not rose-colored glasses that don't acknowledge that there are real evil people in this world. Not a gullible simpleton, right? He's not calling us to be rash or to be foolish, but to be discerning in our spreading of the gospel. Commentator David Turner summarized this way, said disciples must realize that the sacred message of the kingdom must be handled with discernment since there are malicious people who will respond to the message with violence against the messengers, end quote. Now, I said this was a rare verse. It's found in some outside the Bible writings, but this is the only place in the Bible. And so you're probably wondering, is there biblical support for what the pastor's saying right now? This seems pretty radical to even be saying that we ought to hinder at times or refrain even at times from evangelizing. You're probably uncomfortable that I'm even saying this. So the question is, okay, are we going to make a doctrine out of one verse or is there biblical support for this? Are there biblical illustrations of this? In fact, there are many. So go in in your Gospel of Matthew to chapter 10. 
Just turn over a couple of pages. And let me just show you a few of these. Matthew chapter 10. We'll pick it up in verse 14. This is uh, Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on a little short-term mission effort among their own people. He says in verse 14, Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. We'll stop there. It really goes into a futuristic prophecy. I'm not going to have you turn there, but later on in the Gospel of Matthew, this is one of those great days where the disciples come up to Jesus and they go, Hey, Jesus, you know what you just said to the Pharisees? When you just rebuked them a minute ago, did you know that they are offended (laughs) by what you just said to them? And here's what Jesus says back to his disciples. He says, let them alone. He says, let them alone, Pharisees, he means. They are blind guides of the blind. Matthew 15, 14. Here's an illustration. Herod Antipas used to listen to John the Baptist gladly. And then he had him beheaded. When Jesus stood before this pig, he said nothing. Jesus himself said nothing to this human swine who had had his cousin, John the Baptist, beheaded. Go with me to Acts chapter 13. Let's see if this carries on into the church age. In the ministry of the, uh, of the gospel by the Apostle Paul, Matthew 13, I mean Acts 13. Acts 13, pick it up in verse 48. Now you got to know a little bit about Paul's ministry. He would go uh, from city to city and his strategy had him take, uh, take the gospel first to the Jews. That was also his divine mandate. And so he would go into the synagogues and he would preach Christ, the Messiah, from the Old Testament. And then they would normally, most of them, reject him and he would turn from them then to the Gentiles. So let's see how this looks in Acts 13. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So really the the foundational command of Christ to his disciples for shaking the dust off of your sandals is Matthew 7, 6. Let's go look at uh, another passage in Matthew 18. I mean, Acts 18. Why do I keep doing that? Acts 18 and verse 4.
And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, to the gospel, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 6, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Paul didn't mess around. He's not going to sit there and try to persist with someone who is clearly, violently opposed to his message. In his mind, there are more fish out in the ocean, and I'm moving on to them. I'm not going to waste my time or waste the gospel on this person who has already rejected it. I will leave them into the hands of God. Your blood be on your own heads. I mean, that's a witness in and of itself. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. One more illustration comes at the end of Paul's life. Paul, you'll remember this. He writes Timothy there in 2 Timothy. And he tells him about one of these kinds of people, an opponent of the gospel. And here's what the aged Paul said to his beloved son, Timothy. You see, because Paul, like God, cared about the message and the messenger. And he says to Timothy... Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Timothy, be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. That's 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. So to finish the application of a verse such as this, I would say... That if you're in a situation like this with a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, I want to encourage you and ask you to pray and to study God's word and to seek wise counsel. And at the end of the day, practice discerning evangelism. To be on guard, as Paul told Timothy, against these folks yourself. And as our culture goes down the pit, as persecution is inevitably going to ramp up before the rapture, this verse may become more and more and more relevant to anyone who practices evangelism. You know, there are certain usually younger Christians who will use words like radical and sold out and on fire and uh, often challenging everyone to to all kinds of radical, over-the-edge evangelistic techniques, if you will, or strategies. And I'm not saying all of that is thrown out, but I'm just saying let's step back and be discerning. Let's be wise about it because some of that could just be foolhardy. And in fact, some of that could be a detriment to the witness of the gospel itself. Now, we'll admit this, and this is why it takes much prayer and much study and much wise counsel, because there is a fine line between Paul-like courage and zeal without knowledge. A very fine line. And I can't answer that question for you, and you can't answer it for me. We must be led by the Spirit and led by the Word of God. We don't want to be cowards. We don't want to have muted lips. But we don't want to cross over that line between Paul-like courage and zeal without 
knowledge. And I will remind you that Paul himself had to be refrained by his friends from going into a riot at Ephesus. Here was a case, I think, where Paul was working out of emotion and not being led by the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ. And his friends restrained him and refrained him from going into a riot where he surely would have been killed. Again, these things are a very fine line. We think of missionaries who have given up their life for Christ. And we applaud them and they're heroes of the faith. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have. I'm saying we practice discerning evangelism. Where is this person? Are they an unreached people group? Are they an ignorant unbeliever? Or are they heard and heard and heard and now they are rejecting with a hardened heart? They're inoculated to the gospel. They could share the gospel back to you more clear than you can share it to them. Be discerning. Two final applications and we are done. I want to bounce out of the the immediate interpretation of this verse of the holy and the pearls being the gospel. And I want to I want to just expand from that a moment into an application. Number one, set limits on giving financial resources to unsaved family members who do not appreciate the resources, who are not grateful, who will only squander them who will only waste them. So let's let's consider our money now as a, as stewards as something that is holy and something that is a pearl, something of value, and we need to have discernment and boundaries and limits as to what we will give to that struggling family member, right? You do not have an obligation to just continue to pour money on someone who you know is going to waste it or who you know is ungrateful for it and actually despises you while you're giving them money. There is nothing godly about buying someone else's cigarettes and booze and drugs. Nothing godly about that whatsoever. And so we must be wise and discerning stewards when it comes to our, to our resources. And don't let emotion get in the way and don't let their manipulation get in the way and don't let them guilt trip you into doing things that God does not want you to do. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do for that wayward child or that wayward grandchild is to tell them no. To tell them to leave us alone. To tell them to stop calling us. To block their number. To, to, to set some boundaries in their life. Depending on how they are responding to our love. Okay? I think that is a very valid application of this verse. Here's another one. Let's consider, instead of our money now, let's consider our kids as that which is holy here in this verse and our pearls. And the application would be don't give enemies of the gospel undue influence or access to your precious kids. You with me? I think there's a very valid application of this. God has entrusted to us these precious souls of our kids. And too many times Christians are as it were, throwing our kids to the wolves or casting our pearls before swine. We're giving ungodly people too much access or influence on our children. So things that might apply here under that category are education choices. Our education choices. Am I going to throw my pearls before ungodly, Christ-denying, Bible-hating professors and then pay them? To teach that crud to my kids? I need to think about that as a parent. Okay? 
I need to be very careful and discerning about that. There are many ungodly, Christ-hating, God-denying professors that fill state universities all over this country. And Christian parents need to be questioning, why am I giving this person undue access and influence to my pearl, okay, to my child? All right, this, this applies as well to friends of our children. Friends of our children, who are we giving access and undue influence to? These are your kids. Make sure you know their friends. Know their friends' parents. Quiz their friends. Understand where they're going and who they're with. Sleepovers are especially dangerous here. Especially dangerous. Let's get our head out of the sand. People aren't good. Let's believe what we say we believe. And let's practice protection and discernment for our precious children. How about the Internet? How about the Internet that we give to our kids and our kids to it and we give undue access and undue influence to something that can be used for much good or something that can be used for incredibly horrific evil, even evil that threatens their very safety if they are not discerning and understand what they're doing on the Internet. And it's happening all the time in small towns and large towns all around us, right? Children meeting up with sexual predators, never to be seen again, because they didn't understand that this person at the other end of the Internet wasn't 17. They were 37, and they were posing. And so we've got to be very diligent as parents as we bring our kids up and give them access to whether it's teachers or coaches or friends or the Internet. This is an age of practicing discernment. One other way to apply that within that same category of our kids would be access to our kids by, I'm not just saying unsaved family members, I mean ungodly unsaved family members. I mean family members that reject Christ and are adamant about that. Uh, I'm going to try to limit, greatly limit that kind of access to my kids. In, In some cases... You know, it could be, they could be grandkids. Uh, and, and that's a very difficult thing. And I'm not saying if you're, if, if the grandparents are unsaved, keep your kids away from them. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if they're opponents of the gospel, if they're Christ rejectors, if they're openly disdainful of the things of God. That's who Jesus speaks of here as dogs and swine. Those who clearly and knowingly reject and oppose your Savior. And so we have these, uh, this mandate, commands. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them under their feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. Lord God, thank you for... The inerrant, infallible word, our authority in all matters of faith and practice. And for the teaching of the Lord Jesus, that we would be both shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Help us to walk this balance, Lord. Help us to have much discernment in our lives in every area, but especially in the area of evangelism. May we be both bold and Winsome, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.